Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're so glad you tuned into the show today. And as we always say, we hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We're going to be on here on WPSL. This morning, though, rather than give you the phone numbers, I'm going to have to tell you that we're not live today. Uh, I had to be out of town, and so we're going to be, this is a recording we made last week or so. So you won't be able to call in, but you, of course you can still contact us by text message or by email, which I'll give you in just a moment. But don't try to call the live number because there's no one there that can, well, there's no one he can send you to to answer the question <laughs> uh, because we're not here live today. But you can reach the show by email if you'd like to leave us an email about the contents of this show or ideas for another show or criticisms, whatever it may be. If you if you send an email to justchristians at att.net, we'll get that and we'll try to communicate with you. Just Christians, all one word, at att.net. The other way to reach us is by text, and we can take those texts even though I'm not at home today. You can get the text today or even any time during the week. You can text Mike Schmidt at 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120, or Gary Jones at 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. That's the numbers. You can text us with, that's good every week, not just this week, to reach We Are Just Christians. As you heard, my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And with me is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? Doing fine this afternoon. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're recording in the <laughs> afternoon. So it, you're going to hear it in the morning, but we're recording in the afternoon. Makes things kind of odd for a live show, but hopefully you can figure this out. But in any event, uh, we are glad to be able to bring you this show every week. And it's about introducing this community to the idea of being just a Christian and not relying upon denominational doctrines and divisions and traditions to establish our Christianity. It's about going back to the Bible as the source of our authority for whatever we do in faith and practice, and that's what we're going to do. If you call the show or, or interact with us through email or, or a text message, uh, if it's at all possible, we're going to try to refer you to what the Scriptures say about any particular subject or anything that relates to that for you to use as a worldview. We use the scriptures as the foundation of our worldview. And, of course, there's certain presuppositions that go with that, but there's no position you can take in anything that doesn't have presuppositions. Most people have never examined their presuppositions or what they think ahead of time. Uh, and or even given much thought. Given, given it much thought, but they're there, and so we don't mind talking about those, but we're going to be upfront about that. That's our worldview that the scriptures were intended by God to be the foundation of a worldview, how we look at things, how we look at the world, how we interact with other people and God himself. That's the worldview. So in any event, that's what we're about here on We Are Just Christians. And we, we believe not only we as individuals ought to follow what the scriptures say for our own lives. And what we call, I, I would say, for, for lack of a better word, a proof text for that is John twelve forty eight. Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Yes, and that, that's kind of the theme verse we use here. The, the, the word of God is what will judge us. And so we want to point you in that direction to understand uh, what you ought to do. Now, we don't claim to be perfect in this, but I don't, I don't even think most churches even have this as a as their basics, basis for what they do. They're still depending on what a synod or a council or an association has to tell them about what to do. 
And I know that many individuals don't. So we believe that this foundation of the Scriptures gives us a foundation not only for our individual lives, but also for the church and how it's organized and how it's structured and what the, what the role of the church is in society is found in the Scriptures. So in any event, that's the basis of the show. And we appreciate you listening, giving, giving some consideration to this. So we talk about all kinds of things here on the show, not just uh, scriptural topics or verses or exegesis about different passages, but we also try to relate this to current events or things that are going on so you can see the relationship, how these things work together. And it's just plain that a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, do not use the scriptures for the basis of their thought processes and so forth. And, you know, that's... That's a fact of the matter. It's not meant to be an attack. It's just a fact of the matter. And I think that most of them would, be, would acknowledge that they don't believe that the, the Scriptures are sufficient for that. And so you have to make up your mind what you think is right, what you think the Bible says about how, what you should depend on to decide what you do. We're going to encourage you to depend upon the New Testament. Well, Gary, you told me a moment ago that you had uh, some, something you wanted to talk about this morning at the beginning of the show. So I'm going to turn it over to you for a bit, and then we'll have a little discussion about that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to start with Matthew 18 and verses 2 through 7, Mike. Uh, so if you out there want to turn to that in your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. But the thought process here is that we need to be careful about the effect we have on others around us. And primarily our effects are due to what we say, but it can be anything. It can be what we do, what we say, what we imply. And and sometimes we have unintended consequences of what we do. But Jesus says in... So, Ma- so you mean that Simon and Garfunkel song, I am a rock, I am an island, isn't true? Uh, um, Why, mer- we've tried to live our lives by that, Gary. Mercy. Anyway, huh? Go ahead. Anyway. <laughs> But starting in verse 2 of Matthew 18, it says, Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Then he says, whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. That's an interesting passage and a cautious one. Uh, to me, Mike. There's a lot in there that really applies to stuff that we can talk about all that if you'd like. Right. Uh, I don't Mark, want to sidetrack you right away, but, but go ahead. But, but Mark 9.38 basically says the same thing. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be right. better for him to, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, so stumble and sin are, are, right. are right. He's telling you. Well, I see. want to clarify something because if you're reading it in different versions... It'll say to uh, causes one of these little ones to, to offend, offend or, or offends one of these little ones. Yeah. The word offend today means to upset somebody. So I offended you, you know, by making fun of the Georgia Bulldogs or something. But that's not the meaning of the word offend in the New Testament in the Greek. Offend means to cause someone else to sin. To sin. That's which is a whole other subject. We can get on that if you want to. What can we cause other people to sin? And the that, answer is yes, we can. Can we force them to sin? No. 
but we can cause them to sin because we have influence. So offend here means, when he says stumble, that means to sin, do right. something wrong. Or to go, uh, like a, uh, you're talking about children here, you influence a child to develop sinful habits and lead a life of sin or even to sin themselves. Well, you're going to be held accountable for that. Right, and Jesus uses the little child as an example, but the Apostle Paul expands that, Mike, in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. He says, but why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Right. He expanded it to everyone we come into contact. Correct. And, that, and that's, this is a very, um, I would say, problematic scripture, only in the sense that when you begin to apply this teaching, what you're saying, Gary, and I don't want to hijack what you're saying, but I'm, I, my feeling is when you begin to apply this to the real world, it it makes pe- it gets people really upset. It offends them. <laughs> gets them really upset if that's what you will use the word offend in that sense because it implies a lot of stuff that we really don't like to believe in the modern world. And I'll give you some examples in a minute uh, without hijacking what you're saying. So go ahead and well, I was going to point out to the fact that I think that's one of the reasons why. In James, he says in James chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment because of the influence that teachers have. We have influence on each other, and if you're a teacher, you have to be very careful. This is a passage that Gary and I have discussed as elders of this church. This really gives me pause. Personally, it does and should because we are teachers. We've chosen to be that. People have chosen us to be that among other people here, but we are probably the two main teachers at the church right now. And, and um, when we we try to be careful about how we lead and how we teach because we can lead people astray, and then they can do wrong because of what we say. Yes. It's a very great burden that you ought to be bear carefully. And when I see when I see some of the things I see going on in these mega churches and other so called pastors around the country, when I see the things that they do and how what how, what they say, I I am shocked or appalled because of the impact that that has on. The people around them, and then you then you have all these articles on pastor abuse and all that kind of stuff. Part of it is the problem of that so-called pastor misleading people by his example, by his words, and then you have uh, then you have the people who accept it. The reason the reason it's bad for the pastor to mislead people is because he's misled them, and the people that he's misled are also sinning. It isn't because he's bad and they're good. We have this very bad quality as human beings, Gary. We, well, think, and that, and we that, think if we can prove that one, a person is bad, that makes us good. And that points out something, Mike. It's not just what we say. It's what we do. The example we set, sure. It's it's not just the words that we speak, but it's the example we set and the things that we do. And And I have come to understand that sometimes I don't always think about the things I do like I should. Right. I'll give you a funny example of this. This is this is not making. This is about my daughter, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about her. She's just like all the rest of us. You, I could probably, if I was uh, perceptive or willing, I could find ten stories like this about myself. But one day, uh, my my grandson, who's now 20 years old, was about three or four, and she she wanted to stop at a store. We were somewhere together. Stop at a store. She said, "Can you watch Michael here while I go into?" The, uh, sure. 
So I took him, took him around to the front of the car and opened up the front seat, and he, he gets behind the wheel of the car. He's got a truck, you know. He's behind the wheel of the car. I'm just kind of standing there with the door open. And he gets up, and he acts like he's driving. You know how kids do. Yeah. Act like they're driving. All of a sudden, he starts banging on the horn. It didn't go off, and he wasn't big enough yet. But he starts banging on the horn saying, out of the way, lady. Out of the way, lady. He's hitting the horn. And so I started laughing. He had no idea. So she comes out. I tell my daughter this. I said, I, I don't know how in the world he could have ever learned this. Where in the world would he have been to ever learn something like that? And she was embarrassed. She was laughing. And, and you know, that's a very disconcerting thing about being a parent, and almost every parent's experienced this, when you see your young children imitating something that you do or saying what you say, it, it's very problematic because you realize they're actually watching me and imitating me, and you're not proud of it, are you, sometimes? Well, some, sometimes I've always said it's, we're, we're very happy with the children, my children, and they really they're like me, and then sometimes they become a little too much like me. That's what I mean. You see the things that, that about them that's not so pleasant. And, and, and uh, it reminds you of this very fact that we do have influence over other people. So when the Bible says that you can cause one of these little ones to sin, uh, then it means they're not caused like, you know, scientific causation. There's other kinds of causation. It means to strongly influence so as to cause, bring about this behavior. You're going to be held accountable for that. Now, I'll give you, you want me to go in to give you an example of a problematic application of this? Or you going to well, go ahead? Go ahead I, want, I just want to make it a little more general, Mike, because I want to go now to Matthew 12 and verse 35, because it's not just teaching. It's it's not just little children, and it's all of our brothers that we should be concerned with, but it's everything we say, Mike. It's everything we do. In Matthew 12, verse 35, he says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That is a frightening verse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's everything we do. It's not only what we say, it's what what we we do, do. and our interaction with everyone about us. You know, I used to think that this, uh, I, I know you're right about that. I think what I heard growing up was this idle word was, well, you just, you boys just sit around and talk about sports all the time. Those are idle words. Because you know, according to really religious people, we were supposed to be talking about something from the Bible, not about sports or about cars or anything like that. That's not what this means. Maybe that's true that we should talk about more than sports, of course. But that's not what this verse means. The word idle here is actually interesting. We're Gary. There's thoughtless. Sport, there's, huh? I think it's thoughtless. Thoughtless. It's, ergo is the word for work. Ergo. Ergo. And we get energy from that word. And then in the Greek, you put an ah in front of a in front of an A in our language. Ah, ergos, it's argos. It means without energy. I mean, in other words, you took no, you made no effort to monitor the words coming out of your mouth. Whatever your brain thought, you said. And God says you'll be judged for those thoughtless, as you're saying, because we didn't take thought, thought for what we are saying. And I think actions can be the same way. We don't take thought about that over our actions based on the word of God and he says you're going to be judged for that so Christianity is a demanding religion it demands that you think about what you say and do ahead of time 
and even during the act so that you are not hurting other people or yourself or bringing shame upon God. It's a, now, a constant pro- Now, by practice, you can get better at this. But it but takes it, practice. It takes, it ta- and it takes a constant guarding. I've seen plenty of people um, who you never would expect them to say or do a certain thing. And, and, a, and it, we called it, we say it's an unguarded moment. Don't, we, don't people say that? Yes. In unguarded. Well, it means he's not guarding. He's not doing. He's being idle. We we have to be careful about this because Satan loves to use this against us, and it can do a lot of damage, a lot of damage. And you're you're right about that. Well, I just wanted us to understand that it's very general. It involves everything we do. It involves everyone we come in contact with. Right. So that when and and I, I know you've probably got some good examples we can look at, well, but I, mean, I wanted to understand I that get, before. I don't want to take you off the subject here, but but it. I wanted to understand that before we go into examples and what that's we do. the principle that's, that's, that's the principle here. behind it. Now, in uh, like I mentioned before, one of the things that I've noticed, and you probably heard me talk about it so much that you're tired of it. Some of you listen to me all the time. Is that we have this tendency to think that because X, this person here, we can show that they did something wrong or were bad, then somehow the other person involved in it or the other people are good. So a spouse will sit here and talk about how bad their husband is or their wife is. Now, what they, what they want me to get as a person who counsels people, what they're, the big picture is, Gary, they're not just trying to convince me that their spouse is bad. What else are they trying to convince me of by what they're saying to me? That they are good. That they're good, okay? And I try to tell them right off the top, you can convince me all you want to that your spouse is bad or, or whatever other adjective you want to use. But that will not convince me that you're the opposite of that, that you're good, just because you convince me. Maybe you're both rotten. And I have a feeling, and I smile, so I have a feeling that that's probably closer to the truth, that both of you are off track than is it just one of you. That could be that one of them's off track and the other one's all fine. That happens. But in general, the fact that we can prove that... I'll, get, I'll give you a co- couple of controversial examples of this. Let's say that there's a husband who is, who is physically hurting his wife. He is assaulting his wife, abusing her. And when that's presented to people, all of the scorn that they can muster is heaped upon that husband. And, you know, listen to what mm-hmm. I'm saying. He deserves the scorn. And I've, I personally had to go and confront men about this and correct them over this and try to get that thing straightened out. So it's not some foreign topic. I'm not defending that. But the point is, what happens is everybody then takes in the poor wife and, oh, my goodness, honey, you're such a sweetheart. You're such a sweet person. And they, they ignore her problem and her faults. Yet, but when you unravel that situation, yet she might have been the you source find of out stumbling. That, that she herself has, has faults in this that you can't fix it until you address both of them. Now, it happens that one behavior is illegal. The other one may not be. Her behaviors may not be illegal or they may not, may not be public. But that doesn't mean in the eyes of the Lord that they're any better than his public and illegal activities. They both need to see what's happening because one of them can cause the other one to, to sin. stumble, yes. Okay? One of them can cause the other one to sin. And they probably, the truth is that both of them are probably causing the, they're both probably causing the other one to sin in different ways because they're in different situations and they're different sexes. But they still may both be sinning. And now, now, see, that's very controversial today because we have to take the position that if a person if it is this way, well, then 
he's this way, you got this, but the other person must be good. Or you take the situation, um, and I hate to talk about these things because we don't, can't take calls today, but if you want to call, if you want to dis- dispute what I'm saying or have more to comment about this, uh, we gave you the numbers before, and I'll give them again in a minute. You can reach us by text or by email. But anyway, the other one I would give you is this. So the Bible says in, in Matthew 5 that a man, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's guilty of adultery already in his heart. So it warns you men. That doesn't say if you see her. It's the idea looks upon to lust. He, he basically has this already in his heart, and so he's looking on this woman, and then he's, he's uh, uh, picturing the adultery, and, and the, the implication here is if he could, he would commit adultery with her. That's the only thing stopping him. And the Bible condemns that behavior, condemns that thought crime. That's a thought crime, Gary. It's a thought sin. It isn't an actual sin in the sense he's actual meaning he's taking action on it, but he it, it is a crime of the heart. Now, when and we that's often difficult to define exactly well, when sure that happens. I, I know, and yeah. I'm not, I don't even I'm not even trying at this point to delve into that. We can talk about that subject, but here's how this comes out in a in a modern culture. Now, but what I see among young women and women all over the place, including Christian women today, is. I should be allowed to wear whatever I want to wear out in public. And it's not my fault, no problem to me at all, if the men are enticed to lust after me, regardless of what I'm wearing. And so the issue comes up, you know, even among so-called pastors and Christian teachers, should the women be wearing yoga pants, which are very form-revealing. They reveal, they're so tight and thin that they reveal the very form of the female genitalia. Oftentimes, and they reveal the form of the of the backside of the woman in a very clear manner, as if she did not have clothes on. And so, Christian women want to wear this, and they want to say, "Now, you men who are looking at that and lusting after that—that's your problem. This poor woman is innocent; she should be able to wear whatever she wants to in public." Okay, I I don't believe that that's the case. I believe, and here's why: I believe it's possible for both people to sit in that situation. Well, that's what, that, that, what you're trying to excuse the man. I am doing no such thing. I'm well, trying to say the man is guilty of exactly what can, can be guilty of exactly what Jesus said he would be guilty of in Matthew five, and then there's reasons why in First Peter he talks and tells the women to wear clothes that befit women professing godliness. He tells the Christian women to wear clothing that fits a woman who professes to be godly, and that means modest in the sense of covering up your genitals and so forth, not trying to entice a man. So a Christian woman has a responsibility not to entice a man to lust after her, even though she can't prevent all of that, because some men can never be prevented from lusting, but she can do something about it, or she would be guilty. And a Christian man has an obligation, even though she's revealing herself, to turn away and not lust after her. Am I wrong about that, Gary? Both no, of them no. can sin. Well, no, that's, and, that's and so exactly... So we try to make it bo- one or the other. It's not, that's not the way I it is. I think that's exactly what he's talking about when he says cause to stumble. Exactly. And so you can cause a man to stumble by your behavior, uh, by your lascivious or, or enticing behavior and dress, and he can cause you to stumble by, you know, doing the same... Men can do the same thing. The Bible emphasizes the woman... Uh, probably because of the, of the male nature of looking and all those kind of things. But, of course, the truth is, Gary, in truth, women lust after men 
the same way. Right. They don't always do it over clothing or scantily or not, but sometimes they do. But the truth is, both of us have a responsibility in this regard. And, um, you know, uh, this is true of all of our behavior. We have to think about how, what we say and do. When Paul says, let all things be done in love, one of the things he's talking about there, for example, is he says in Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that it may give grace to them that hear. So even my words can either pull someone toward what's right or pull them toward what's wrong. And I can use my words to incite them to sin against me or God or somebody else. So my speech is to be monitored just as well as my actions and my thoughts too. Right. Now, I used to watch, before I was a Christian, an old show about over 50 years ago called Laugh-In. And one of the characters on there was, was basically, I think this is another aspect of what we're talking about here. One of the characters in there would say, well, the devil made me do it. Oh, yeah. yeah Skip, and, and Skip that, Wilson, I think his name Right. Is, yes. yeah, the devil made me do it. So just because someone we tells you to do it, it to yeah, it doesn't. It goes back a long ways. But Jesus says in Matthew 15 and verse 13, He says, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads to blind, both will fall into the ditch. Basically, he's telling you, if you follow someone in this false path, you're going to fall with them just as well. It's it's just another corollary to this this. The, the system that the we're reason at. why the teacher will be held accountable is this for very the reason is because the student's going to sin and he's going to be accountable he the student who sins is responsible for his own sins the teacher who led him astray is responsible both for his sin and, and the, the student's, student's sin, sin because he led them both away and because uh, he he led this person astray so this is true of parents and it's true of all of us when, when our behavior this is a this is the heavy burden that Christians bear with regard to behavior and morality. Now Whereas we, if you're a person in the world, you can do whatever you want in your own mind and, and you know, and you feel justified in that. Do whatever you want. I please myself. We've talked in the in the past on this show about what you approve. You can be condemned for what you approve as well. If you approve the wrong thing, you can be condemned. Now this verse in Matthew fifteen, thirteen and fourteen tells me that Christians out there really ought to be paying attention to what's taught in their assemblies. Oh, yes, and they don't oftentimes. And they don't oftentimes because by being there, by by donating to it, you are approving those actions. And basically, folks, this says if the blind leads the blind, both will fall in the ditch. You know know the big word is the elephant in the room here, Gary, that everybody hates so much is judgment. Oh, yes. See, the, yes. what's all behind this is the Bible is saying you have to make proper judgments in your life as a Christian or as a human being. Now, we don't like to hear that word, but that's what you're being asked to do. Use good judgment. Use moral judgment. Use proper judgment about what you do and say around other people and and uh, or else you'll be judged yourself. Well, and there's the word. basically, there's another aspect of that word judgment in what what I read before in Romans 14. He says, "But do you? But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? Shall for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ?" 
there's another judgment that we need to be worried about that we right. don't think about much. Well, now there are there, there you can. This applies to so many things. I'll bring up another controversial subject here. Um, that now we've gone a lot further than uh, I had intended. Okay. I, this, time this, is a, time. this kind of sub. This subject is one that's very. It's not a minor subject, Gary. It's a. It's a real goes to the heart of so many different things, both in society and in churches. But I'll give you another example of this that might be controversial, since you know. We like to walk in that minefield, and that's drinking. Now, (laughs) you and I are both teetotalers, as far as I know. Gary may have a hot toddy at night. I don't know that, but as far as I know, Gary's a teetotaler, made that choice in his life a long time ago, and I did too. I'm not sitting here telling you I've never drunk at all. I'm not saying I might not ever take a drink again. That's not the point I'm making. I, I may have used alcohol medicinally, but I have never used it socially. Well, I can't say that either. I have when I was young, and I'm not proud of that. But I made a decision not to do that anymore. One of the reasons, and I think I give you some good scriptural reasons for that, that the use of alcohol is extremely dangerous, and I know this, intoxication is condemned in the Bible from front to back. Yes. Okay? And, and sobriety is, is commanded. So uh, in any event, uh, the other reason that I don't do that, especially since I am a minister and a teacher, and now an elder in the church, is because of the effect that that would have on other people. I am not going to put myself up and be an example to someone younger than me, more inexperienced than me, maybe maybe uh, in this area weaker than me, and and be an example of drinking when I might lead them astray completely in their life. I might, by my, by my drinking a glass of wine at Olive Garden, or at my, with my meal, having a beer while I'm watching the football game, even if, we could, even if you could convince me that though, that in itself would not be a sin, I won't do that because there are lots of people, including my grandchildren and other people around me, plus other young Christians, that might be led astray by that into a life of addiction. Because after all, Papa did that or Mike did that, but Pastor Schmidt or whatever they call me might do. Yes. And I lead them astray. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a teetotaler. There isn't anything wrong with that. There's no sin involved in abstaining from intoxication, whether it's by weed, by, by a grass, or whether other drugs, or whatever. There's no sin in that. But there can be sin in intoxication. So that's a choice or a judgment that I make well, myself it, it robs to avoid of, this problem. It robs us of a sober thought process is what it does. And, and we're commanded to be sober constantly yes. in the New Testament. But now that's that that kind of thinking is what do they call it? It's old school. It's considered old fashioned. And oh, you're you're condemning other people. No, I, I'm I'm choosing a life here where I'm not going to be pop, guilty, at least in that one regard, of causing a weaker person or inexperienced person to stumble. Now they may still stumble in this area, but hopefully it won't be because, because of my me, poor right. example or my my unwise choice I made. A few years ago, I shouldn't even tell you this. I, I got over to the Tampa at the State Fair where I'm going next week to work. I was over there in the middle of all this work and physical labor and meeting people, and I got a kidney stone, and I had to go to the hospital one night just before the big setup and everything was starting. I just before we opened, I had to go to the hospital. I went there, and they said, yeah, you got a kidney stone. It's going to take a few days to pass, and here's some pain medicine. Well, man, I didn't know what to do. Well, I don't know who. I talked to somebody there, and uh, and somebody at the fair. They said, look, I know you're a preacher, but if you go to 7-Eleven 
and buy yourself three large beers, the strongest you can buy, and drink those three beers, one after the other in one sitting, it'll get rid of that mm-hmm. kidney stone. Wasn't a lot of fun, though, was it? Well, I, well, I had kidney stones before and, and really suffered with it for days, and I knew, it was com- I knew what was coming. So I, I told you, I said, well, we're going to go back to the motel. No one even knows where we were. I'm gonna go- I bought some beers. I bought three beers at the 7-Eleven right next to the motel, kind of stealthily. I was ashamed of it, but I bought these big beers. I, 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 probably, I don't know if I bought the right beer or not. I don't buy beer. I don't know. I just bought the three biggest-looking manly beers I could find. You know, <laughs> Took them back to the motel, and I laid there in the bed, and I drank all three of them one after the other. I felt nothing from that. I went right to sleep. But you know what? By the next day, I was fine. I had no other problem with that kidney stone. Is that what caused it? I have no idea. Did I do wrong? I don't think I did because I was using the alcohol medicinally, medicinally. and I wasn't doing it out in public to flaunt it in front of other people and be a bad example for other people. Maybe you think I'm a bad example for even telling you this story. That, that could be. We could discuss that. But you see, there's a difference between, so I can't sit here and tell you, oh, I've never drunk. Well, of course I have, but I've used it medicinally. And the other times I've drunk it for not medicinal purposes, I regret and I'm ashamed of and I wish I hadn't done it. So, but I don't want to do it because I don't want to be a bad influence on young people. I've seen so many people's lives ruined and damaged by alcohol, and not just the one who's drinking. The one who's drinking damages the, may damage the happiness of mm-hmm. his children and grandchildren because of the effect it has on them. Well, I, I was told one time anyway, that I don't, guess I'm off the subject way far now, but. You know, uh, one, I think it's like... You were told one time what? One time, it was like the statistics were one out of every eight people who take up social drinking become alcoholics. Well, I believe that's probably something right. Right, That's right. I don't know what the... Some people can drink and it never bothers them. Some people have a... a, is, Is alcoholism genetic or is it by learning? Well, it's both. Some people have a genetic tendency for alcohol to affect them and to grab a hold of them tighter... But, but then I would ask a question of those people who want to drink socially then. If you're going to get on an airplane to fly from Tampa to Los Angeles and you knew that there was one in eight chances <laughs> that airplane would crash and you would die, <laughs> would, would you, would you, get, on, would would you, you get, get on it? No, you wouldn't get on it. <laughs> now, see, my mother and father. Now, that sounds be, funny, but no, that's, that's serious. Right. My mother and father in the 60s, my mother had been smoking. and My father had two since they were teenagers. This was common people born in the 20s. And my mother was born in 1930. It was Americans smoked. Everybody did almost. So, but in, ni- in 1964, whenever it was, when the Surgeon General said that smoking was harmful to you, my, my dad just one day put up his cigarettes and never smoked again. He might have had a cigar or two, but hardly any cigar. He just quit smoking one day, walked away, never looked back. My mother never could until she was in her se- late 60s, early 70s. Uh, my father... You used to drink some when I was a kid. He would have a beer now. He never was a drunk or anything. But one day he realized, I got four sons that are watching me. He told me later, and I decided I wasn't going to buy beers, drink anymore. He wasn't, a re- he wasn't a, at that time a religious man. He just didn't want us boys being influenced. Why? Because he knew one of us might have a problem. And guess what? At least one of us has had a problem with addiction. But my father just walked away. My mother could not stop smoking very easily until she, it was forced upon her late in life. Those two people both had the same experiences, but they had a different reaction 
to the problem of addiction. That's I it. think some of that's genetic. Some and of it's behavioral. See, that's tendencies. That, that my experience with my parents was a little bit the opposite. Uh, my dad smoked all of his life, and he quit for a while but found it very difficult, went back, but he never smoked as much as he did. My mother, when I was born, put it away and never smoked again. Yeah. So it's the same, but it's it's a difference in the in the genetics, the emotional makeup, everything else about them. You know, some people will say, for example, I'm not addicted to smoking. I've quit 20 times. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to quit smoking. I've done it 20 times. Uh, uh, you know, that's the old joke. Some people have a harder time. And I'm I'm not saying that unsympathetically. It it is certainly it is certainly a problem for some people. And it runs in families. And it's so therefore I'm careful about that. And this is the problem of causing another person to stumble. And sexual sin's the same way. Look at David and his sexual sin in his family. Yes. And it just reverberated, not in every single individual, but it reverberated right down through his family history and brought ruin upon him and the other people involved. And sexual sin's the same way here, the same way today with people. Uh, easy divorce. All those things create resounding problems, and you can cause little ones to stumble. Well, that was my thought for this this lesson. I, I just think that's an important subject and something we should pay attention to. Be careful of this trap of thinking because you can show that somebody else had a sin that make that makes you innocent. Or somebody made me do it. Somebody made me do it. You've got to be careful about that because Jesus doesn't give you any quarter. The very language itself says you'll be held accountable, but so will they. And that is a sobering thought. I mean, I, uh, this well, is the thing about the Bible that I both love and hate. Gary, we've talked about it many times, is the fact that it, it's so challenging when you start thinking about it carefully, what it means to you individually, what it means to me, so challenging for us to change and be a new, new man. Well, as a society, we are thoughtless about these things. And one of the things that, that in Romans 14.10, I'm just going to read this again. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Society has forgotten that. And that, in my view, Mike, is why we are having such problems with crime and violence Mm -hmm. and everything that we have today is because we have forgotten that we are going to give account of these things. And the mantra for our society is if if you want to think it, if you can dream it, you can do it. If you think it, you should be free, except when you're not free to think right like you want to, which we're going to get to in a moment if we change the subject here. But it's, it's the idea that you have total freedom to do whatever you want, and you're not going to be held accountable. And, and we tend to confuse legal accountability with, with the accountability God. from God. You and I, we don't make that great dist- I mean, like I mentioned before, a man beating his wife has both spiritual and legal consequences. A, a woman, uh, you know, disrespecting her husband or cursing her husband, whatever the case may be, doesn't have any legal ramifications. It just may have spiritual ones. And so we tend to make one worse than the other. In the eyes of God, I don't think that's true. Well, that woman revealingly dressed is not responsible for it before the law. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not a... That's it's, one of those it's cases. A matter. And, and both those crimes are something that they need to do something about. And then there are the cases where women, women can... Dr- Look, there are certain people that will lust after a woman, whether she's dressed modestly or not. I'm not denying that in the least. But Jesus is the one who brings it up talks about a man lusting in his heart after someone and and so and then he tells women to dress carefully clearly anyway 
let's change subject. Let me give the okay. let me give the contact information in case someone wants to write us about that. I mentioned it before. But if you uh, want to comment about these things we're talking about, can't call today. Next week you'll be able to call, but you can you can email justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net, or you can leave a text message for Mike, the big mouth here, that's talked about this at seven seven two. Two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero, or you can leave a text message for Gary seven seven two two six zero six two two zero seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. And I believe our personal email addresses are on the website. Is that not yes? If you go to wearejustchristians dot com, you can probably email us personally if you want to about e- either one of those two. I think our addresses are there. Uh, but you can reach us both by the Just Christians address, and we'll be glad to to follow up with you personally. And, and we, we appreciate when you say, well, I'd like you to talk about this, or I don't agree with what you said about that, or would you explain this more? We would be glad to do that, uh, and we'd be thankful partly because we can have something to talk about on the show that we think other people might be interested in. Uh, and if you send me an email and you want to know the scriptures, I'll send you back sure. a PDF file with with all the scriptural references that we use, so you right. can, so you can read them. Right. All right. Well, let's let's do, do something a little different. We talked about. The, it's interesting how this dovetails, Gary. You didn't even know I had this sitting in front of me. Here. Just, it always works that way. The thought. The thought pro- well, all these big subjects all link together, but we talked about the thought crimes, as it were, and the thoughts of our heart and how we're going to be held accountable for that. And we even talked about the difference between spiritual accountability and legal accountability. Well, here's one for you. There have been two different stories. I've got one in my hand coming out of England in the last two or three weeks about thought crimes that are being punished legally in England now because we've got they've got hate crime laws over there that are even more strict than us and this political correctness especially over abortion some things like that has taken hold so here's a case authorities have arrested a pro-life woman for silently praying outside an abortion clinic in the United Kingdom Isabel Vaughn Spruces was a, was arrested mid anxieties over the justice department's crackdown on pro-life activists in the United States such as Mark Hauck who was eventually acquitted, I think, the other day, and so forth. And so then you have this um, woman here named Isabel Spruce. And so she's the video shows her being confronted by police and issued and arrested, taken away, for violating a public space protection order for praying silently near an abortion clinic. She wasn't throwing paint on it. She wasn't screaming obscenities. She wasn't even holding a protest sign. She was How did sta- they know that she was praying? Well, let me read it to you. Okay. The woman stood silently praying as the police approached her and, and asked her what she is doing, after which she tells them, this is an account of the video, that she might be praying in her head. Quote, might be praying might in her be head. Praying. Are you praying? The policeman asked her. And she said, I might be praying in my head. The police then search her, arrest her, and take her to a police station where they interrogate her and charge her with breaking the public space protection order by silently praying. Now, this is what's going on with these abortion clinics around the country. This is the the same kind of law they passed in this country that you can't 
pray or do anything near an abortion clinic. Because, listen, Gary, I know it sounds crazy, but I don't think I am. These abortion clinics are sacred places to the left-wing people in our country. They are like churches. They are sacred ground, abortion clinics are, and you can't do anything about them. You can burn down the other buildings, apparently, but you can't come near an abortion. And in the United Kingdom, it's so much so that you can't even stand there and pray silently. Now, I think eventually this what she was given a fine and or uh, it was reduced or something like that. And, and I, I don't, you know what, I don't care. I don't care if a judge threw it out or not. The law is such in England that the police have been told they have the authority to walk up and say, are you praying? And if you are, they handcuff you and take you away. Now, now this is... Um, this is incredible in Western society, and this is the kind of thing that's coming here. There was another fellow, he's sitting outside an abortion clinic in England the other day, and I, I don't have that story in front of me. You can look it up. It just happened, I think, last week. He's standing outside an abortion clinic. Poli- two policemen approach him. I saw the video of this one. Two policemen approach him, ask him what he's doing, and he says, I'm praying for my son. And they got, they got alarmed. They want to they want to arrest him. And he said, "What?" They tried to interrogate him, and they said, "What do you mean you're praying for your son?" He he said, "He said my I when I was a young man, I got a girl pregnant, which I'm ashamed of now. I brought her to a place like this, and they terminated the pregnancy and killed my son. I now realize how wrong I was, and I remember him every day, and I come here often to pray." For him and for all the other children that are being killed here every day, I come and pray for them here. They arrested him, took him away. Can you imagine that our society, that Western society, it's and do, the people in the United it. States are at the point where people are praying for unborn children and they're being arrested and taken away, and these drag queens can grab their crotch and grab a little kid by the hand and parade around the streets or in the libraries. And everybody thinks that is the most... It, even the president has these people with little children up in the White House, they're okay. Their thoughts are okay, but a person praying... I, I get, I'm ranting, Gary. Uh, i got to well, back it, up a little it, bit. It, no, it, it's it goes, the thought crime. I want to talk about the thought crime. Is it, is it right, good for Christians that, that have laws that punish thoughts? Is that going to work out good for us Christians, or is it going to work out poorly for us Christians when well, the state can monitor our thoughts? It's not only that, but it's a complete disregard for the fact that we are one day going to stand and explain ourselves before God. Right. So there's a difference between the law and what's right or wrong, but now what we're seeing is the law is trying to venture in and control your thoughts. That's a whole trouble philosophically, Gary, and lots of people who aren't conservative Christians like myself have pointed this out, that the problem with hate crimes is you it, it asks the state to regulate thoughts. Because it's, it, it's one thing to say, what you did, I saw you beat that guy up or murder that fellow, now we're going to punish you for that, but now we're going to add something onto that because you had bad attitude when you did it. I mean, it's a ludicrous concept in the first place, and it can't be defended, really, but, but we're, we're going to try to do that because it will never be able to be enforced Well, My problem is, Mike, who, properly de- who defines what that hate or disturbance That's is? That's the whole thing. It's only going to be the left-wing radicals that get to define that. Oh, unless you want to go back to that whole time when they hate so much of Victorian England or 
the scarlet letter when we got we tried to punish people for what they did in private. And we're so much against that, right? Now we're going back. It's just the, the pendulum swings back the other way. Now, guess, here's another headline related to this. Well, I, ha- I have. You a want pic- to say something about that before well, I go? Well, on? I have a picture here. It's a t- it's a T-shirt. I'll send you the picture in the email. The T-shirt is a picture of a of a knight in armor, middle ages knight in armor. He's kneeling with his head bowed, and the caption is this: "The devil saw me with my head down and thought he'd won, until I said Amen." Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's the value of prayer, right? And and to to judge what people are thinking and make them legally accountable for that is a horrendously thoughtless law that we we're tra- we're walking right down that path. And get this: here's this headline: a, the, a bill would expand hate crime the hate crimes law for gender ID and disability. And I look at this headline and I here listen to the first sentence, Gary. Some clergy members. Wow. First three words. Some clergy members, a group that advocates for LGBTQ rights and a group that advocates for rights of people with disabilities, are calling on Mississippi legislatures to expand the state hate crime law to cover offenses committed because of a victim's disability, sexual orientation, or gender identity, just as federal law already does. So if you beat up a person with a disability... It's it not only a problem for you to do that, which it should be. Now, it's a hate crime because you targeted that person. How do they prove that you for tar- sure that that's what you did unless you were to confess it? Now, sometimes you think you can't, but I, when you start doing that, who gets to pick the crimes that are the ones that are worse? If you beat up a Christian... You know, somebody was joking the other day, made a joke, I probably were about if someone breaks into a church, you know, who it is who is it that they're trying to shoot first? Well, I know who it is. It's the preacher. That's who they're trying to shoot first. Do you think they would get charged with a hate crime against clergy if they broke into this church one Sunday and shot me? Do you think that would happen, Gary? Why not? Or they would just get charged with assault or something. Why don't why isn't it a hate crime against God or hate crime against clergymen? You see, every certain groups are protected, others are not. This will lead to nothing but social division. It will lead to nothing but social unrest. It can never bring people together. It can never bring unity. <coughs> it only leads to division. Well, Basing, that's that's exactly breaking what out society based on color or ethnicity or anything like that only leads to division, not unity. But that's exactly what's happening in our society today in America. That's what's going on. And so certain groups are protected over other groups, and this leads to hatred. It, it, hates, it leads to hatred being worse. And then you got one of the people talking here is a black transgender man. Well, he's got two of, the, two of the things there going for him. He's got two groups that he gets to check off his list. And then if, he, if it was, uh, you know, some other kind of person, he, if he is a disabled tra- black transgender man, he gets to check three boxes, and so you get three times the penalty for beating him up. Say, well, you beat me up, you, you, I'm a disabled person. Well, I'm also a black, and I'm also a transgender, I'm also the... So you get all of these offenses added up, it becomes almost nonsense. And what bothers me about this, it's one thing if these clergymen here, and I put that in quotes 
would be trying to teach people this is wrong. Hatred and assault and violence is wrong. There's a right way to live. No matter who it is. No matter who it is. But it may be directed against. And it may be worse to transgender helpless people. I mean, to to target helpless people. That that is worse, yes. But that's a spiritual problem that you have, not a legal problem that you have. And when you try to make it legal, you alter it all, and it becomes then a tool to use for politics, not for changing people's lives. Something that I think people don't realize, we talked about in the Declaration of Independence, I think the words were, all men are created equal. Mike, there were three words left out that I wish our forefathers had put in there. All men are created equal before the law. Oh, well, since it's a legal document, maybe since they thought that'd be obvious. Uh, yeah, perhaps but, so, but yeah. but the way we're going at it now, it looks it's like... E- it, well, well the, the thing is now they want equal outcome. That's what, when they use the word, whenever you hear the word equity... It's outcome. So of equality, they're using equity on purpose, and it's because that's equal outcome they want for everything. And of course, one. they get to pick who gets to have the equal outcome and so forth. But now the Bible says that you, I believe the Bible is right that all men uh, are made of one blood. And the point of the New Testament is that whatever ethnicity, race, or social status you had, whether bond or free, but there again, all men were equal before the Lord in far as how he treated them and what his judgments were yeah, about Yeah, but them. there's there's that same three words, before, the, before the law of before God. Before the yes. Lord. Yes. Before the Lord. Before the Lord. And, and that means that, that, that the law of God doesn't care if you're black or, or right or rich or poor. He's going to hold you accountable. He says male or female, slave or free. He right. basically, you know, Greek this, or whatever. Th- these are the verses from which all of this yes, progressivism comes from, That they, the ones that hate the Bible so much. There's nothing in evolution or Darwinism or, or science to lead you to the idea as that all fact, men are created equal. As a matter of fact, that leads you away leads from you that. leads you away from that idea. So, yes, the, the truth about it is that, that these clergymen here ought to have been pointing out the spiritual problem with that uh, with that situation and not just the, um, the, the, the let's see, the handicap du jour yes. of the day, you know, uh, the handicap du jour, as, as I would say. Now, we've got about five minutes left. This one might deserve a little more, a little more time, Gary. Unless you want to keep talking about this subject. Well, I keep coming back to the fact that just about all the things that I see are a symptom of we have lost the idea or the consideration or the thought for the fact that we are all going to explain ourselves before God at some point. That's that's the major factor. and it's, We shall it, all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give account for the deeds done in the body, whether they be right. good or bad. Second Corinthians 5, 4. Exactly. And that's that's what he said in Romans in Romans 10, uh, Romans 14. So then let each of us, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. He says that. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess right. to God. So we've forgotten that. As a society, we've forgotten that. Exactly. And it's right. reflected not only in the fact that legally we're doing that too by releasing criminals back out on the street. They are, they're arrested, they're charged, and by the next day they're back out on the street again. Sometimes they're, they get home before the victim. There is no home. accountability. 
even in our legal system. And when that happens, everything comes apart. And the thing that's sad about that, Gary, is that in in the, in reality, when when crimes when crimes go unpunished or punished without properly, it leads to revenge being taken by people privately. It leads to a disrespect of the law, and it, it makes society much crueler. Where where Bible says in Ecclesiastes eight, uh, I think it's verse three or verse eleven. I don't know which verse it is. But when sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of the sons of men is fully set within them to do evil. Yes. And what it means by that, I think, are a couple ways that the things that can mean. Number one is it. If we don't punish e- evil deeds quickly, then people don't learn a lesson, and it makes men more determined to do wrong because they see you can get, can get away with it. Or the fact that they were not punished makes them determined to take revenge. That's what, that's what a lot of people think about that verse. It makes people determined to take revenge in other ways. And then you see then the swinging back. So when, 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 black, when white men target black people for oppression as they did in this country for time and violence there's a swinging back the other way guess what that does it goes it causes it to go back and swing back again when you start when you start uh, hate when you hate black people because of the color of their skin then they're going to push back and that's going to be a crime to hate black people but then when you hate white people because of the color of their skin in reaction to that, then those white nationalist groups rise up and they become violent. This goes back and forth. I'm just using that as one example in a society-wide thing. Well, see, it, it, happen, it happens all the time in, in real life, though. Well, it, it, it's, it's what I see is within our society, what the progressives are trying to do is they want to create what they call a utopia. And yet they do not realize that the best thing they could create is based on New Testament principles and what Christ is telling. Yeah, the closest thing we're going to get to, Utopia, Utopia is, is that. Is we're that. not going to get there, but the closest one that we're going to get to is one that's based on New Testament teaching. Because it is dealing with both the heart and the action of human beings. Yes. It deals with both of those things. And until we realize that, until we come to it, to realize that... Uh, it is it's just not going to work out very well. Right. And this is why, we, you know, I, I know we take some positions on public, on, on politics or public things other people don't agree with. That, that's okay with me if you disagree with that. But what, where we're coming from and trying to apply this thing is what the Scriptures say about morality and rightness. And then our experience that we have in dealing with that as elders. Well, we've got to stop here. We're almost going over time. Uh, let me wrap up by saying we want to welcome you to our assemblies. We meet at 10, 11, Not and just a little over a minute, on Wednesday night. Yes, we, we need to uh, – uh, I want to invite people to come and worship with us. 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday nights. At, we meet at 2196 Southwest Sabona Boulevard. 2196 Southwest Sabona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money. You and your whole family are welcome. Come and see Come and see what, how it looks to just worship God simply and plainly. And you can learn the Bible. Your kid, children can learn the Bible here if they come. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. hope you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. May God bless you.